1: Hello and welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy. In today's episode, I sit down with Dr. Dan Siegel. Dr. Siegel received his medical degree from Harvard University. He is a clinical professor of psychiatry at the UCLA School of Medicine and the founding co-director of the Mindful Awareness Research Center at UCLA. He is the executive director of the Mindsight Institute. Dr. Siegel has published extensively for the professional audience. I myself have read many of his research articles and attended many of his conference talks. He is a New York Times bestseller, the author of Mind, A Journey to the Heart of Being Human. He's written multiple parenting books, including three New York Times bestsellers, Brainstorm, The Power and Purpose of the Teenage Brain, The Whole Brain Child, and No Drama Discipline. He has a book coming up this summer, August 2018, called Aware, The Science and Practice of Presence. This book will provide practical instruction for mastering the wheel of awareness, a life-changing tool that he has offered for cultivating more focus, presence, and peace in one's day-to-day life. In this episode, I share with Dr. Siegel my fears as a parent of two young children who are growing up in a digitized world, and I ask him how can we as humans, as parents, support our children, and support ourselves in cultivating and maintaining conscious connections in this new digitized world. We also talk about Mindsight. What does Mindsight mean? We explore what all of this means for our global community. We talk about our inner connections to each other and how easily we're losing that in our digitized world. But Dr. Siegel, as he always seems to do, offers hope. He offers ideas for how we can move forward and maintain our conscious connections to each other. I'm really excited to share this conversation with all of you. So without further ado, let's jump in. You're listening to Holding Space Podcast with Dr. Cassidy Freitas, licensed marriage and family therapist. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Now, let's jump in. So, my hope today was to talk a little bit about this idea of conscious connection. But before we jump into that, I feel like the audience may need a little bit of context. And so, defining a little bit of terms and language, because so often we have to understand what the words are in order to describe what it is we're talking about. Right, right. So, can you, we're sitting here in the Mind, in your Mindsight Institute. Can you help me better understand what do we mean when we say mind-sight?
2: Yes. So for parents with children, or for a therapist with clients or patients or any human being on the planet, the idea is you can sense the mind of yourself or others. So everyone has a mind, but actually not everyone perceives the mind. So mind-sight is a term I made up When I was in medical school and I ended up dropping out and it was very disillusioning because my professors in medicine didn't seem to see the mind of their patients. So if they told them they were dying, they would just say, you're dying and goodbye. And and they wouldn't explore the patient's feelings, the meaning of the statement, they just said, you're dying. They wouldn't check in with the impact of the relationship between that physician and that patient and Mm -hmm. what that diagnosis Meant for what was now going to go forward in their life, so they just left as if the physical world were all there were. So I realized after I stopped school for a while that there was physical sight to see the physical things in the world, and then there was this other perceptual ability to see the subjective experience like meaning or emotions Mm. or memory. So I just made up the word mind sight. So when I went back to school, I had a conceptual notion of what was missing, because I didn't think the professors would have changed in the time I was away, and they didn't. But I was like an anthropologist going back, studying how a clinician without mind sight is a bad thing. Mm. So I would use them as anti-role models, and I would just kind of study them, you know. And it really helped me. Yeah. So that was back in 1980, you know, a while ago. And around the same time in the field of psychology the term theory of mind had just been created, and I had started medical school actually after that had been published. So it overlaps with the research term theory of mind, which later on, many years later, would have the term mentalization or reflective function or psychological mindedness that have similar aspects to them. But in sight, it has these three components. It's insight into your own subjective life. It's empathy for the subjective life of someone else. And it's a process called integration, which is where you honor differences and promote linkages. Mm. So it's like the gateway for kindness and compassion is what integration is. So that's what Mindsight is. And our Mindsight Institute is where we teach that to parents, to educators, to therapists, to all sorts of folks. What has been really remarkable is how just staying with that fundamental concept over all these decades, has been really useful to then sort of keep one set of feet, if you will, in the research world, one set of feet in the clinical world, and one set in the practical world of how do you actually educate fellow humans about this incredibly important thing. So then that was before the digital age took off. Then as the digital age took off, Mindsight became in much shorter supply so that things that people were preoccupying their attention with weren't really things of the mind and so then empathy decreases and insight decreases and integration decreases in ways that are actually pretty serious so we start treating each other like objects or if you get a feeling of anger you just destroy people in whatever ways that can happen and so what we try to do at the Mindsight Institute is try to teach the importance of Mindsight in parenting let's say so that a parent can know that the way they communicate with their child will determine the circuitry development in the child's brain that helps not only develop mindset, but helps develop what's called regulation to balance and coordinate emotions and thinking and attention and stuff like that. So it turns out that integration is the fundamental mechanism of every form of regulation that you can name. So when you regulate attention, emotion, thought, memory, behavior... Regulating impulses, regulating morality, regulating relationships. It all comes down to integration. And then the simple amazing finding is that integration in a relationship stimulates the growth of integration in a brain, mm. which is the basis of all regulation. So once that became clear, and I, I write about this in a book called The Developing Mind, then, you know, my kids always ask me, you know, why do you go around lecturing all these different people and, you know, and it's always the same message, just in different ways you can apply it. Like, integration is health. Yeah. It improves an enzyme that repairs the ends of your chromosomes. It reduces inflammation. and improves your immune system. It actually optimizes cardiovascular factors. It, this integration is something you can use your mind to create what's called presence. Mm. And through the presence, you develop these experiences of being aware. So this new book I have, Aware, is all about how to cultivate this in your life through something called The Wheel of Awareness which integrates consciousness. So you have consciousness and connection are two sides. One is an inner experience in some ways. One is an inter-experience in another way, but they're actually both inner and inter because the mind is both within us and between us. And then conscious connection or the idea of being present as a therapist or friend or lover or parent or leader of an organization or whatever. You know, presence is really love mm. and then you get this amazing way of putting all of these things together whether it's from science hardcore science or poetry or spiritual practices or clinical approaches or parenting strategies or education or whatever you do, you kind of come down to this grounding mm. that you know makes our collective work pretty simple doesn't make it easy but it's pretty simple and when yeah. you come back to that basic truth, then you invite people into the discussion. So like I do work in Baltimore, and we're doing work with all the murders that are there, and we bring groups that have never really communicated with each other, drop them into a presence through the wheel of awareness, and then the emotions that arise and the sense of connection that comes from that consciousness being integrated is just mind-boggling, I mean, mind-opening. And Anyway, so you can work at the level of communities, you can work at the level of... History across you know racial history of, let's say, African-Americans in this country or people inheriting this unfortunate in-group, out-group distinction mm-hmm. where you see integration is blocked and you can then drop people beneath those biological proclivities. And so that's what we do. And, you know, however you manifest it, the good news is you're in this very scientifically grounded place and then you go out in the world and just try to live This way of coming from presence, so that's what mindset is. That was a long answer to a short question, and
1: I there I have (laughs) five million follow up questions, and I'm going to not ask you the five million. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Well, uh, questioning and inquiring is a great place to start, but it can lead to many more questions. Now, you had mentioned earlier on how now we are very much living in a digitized world where. So many connections are happening online or through an app or through social media. And I've had so many parents and have myself struggled with, our kids are growing up in a digitized world. And how can we as parents support them in integrating conscious connection in this digitized age? Because it's not going away. And they're going to be growing up in this world where so many connections are happening through social mediums online and these apps. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on how we can support our children as they're growing up in this world to being able to maintain an integrate conscious connection while all these, I don't want to say false connections, but can feel like connections, but they're not really are happening.
2: Well, let's take it layer by layer. The strange truth is that everything we're talking about is about sharing the flow of energy and information and it's not a way anyone seems to talk about but to me it's really the essential starting place so if you think about energy and information happening let's say between you and me and then between us and anyone listening Mm. there is the energy of sound Now, we also have vision, but for anyone listening, it's just sound. So sound is just a form of energy. It's air molecules moving. So I can say, hello, or I can say, hello, you know, and it's a tone of voice. Or I can say, you know, bluebird, or I can say blueberry, and they sound sort of similar, but they're profoundly different. Mm. So energy patterns can convey information, and we can share those energy patterns quite directly through tone of voice, through literally the, the meaning of a word, blueberry versus bluebird. Um, and we can also have visual energy things with photons doing it so I can move my hands around or gesture hello or gesture stay away. Mm. And that's all light energy. So when you look at the kinds of energy that the digital world permits, besides it being on-off, which is what digital means, zero, one, zero, one. That's fine. I mean, musicians may initially have had trouble with that because they didn't want their music, which is analog, Mm. to be reduced to digital. Mm. But we've all gotten used to listening to digital music, even musicians. So it is a bit different, but we've gotten used to it. So that's got a lot of variation in it now. But the way people then connect to other people is often not with the immediacy of the timing of shared energy states and what's usually conveyed in a text or an email or a chat box or fa- you know sounds a little different but in many of these channels of energy flow which is what the digital world is really right. all about is a non-mindsight based form of communication but the form and the content is not about the inner subjective nature of the mind mm-hmm. not usually and it's set out in a way which makes the level of discourse often quite impulsive and quite superficial. So the capacity to engage in deep conversation about things that are real and require responding usually within around seven seconds has been changed to you respond whenever you feel like it. Mm. And so it's not what's called contingent communication. It's just you lob out. You know, something on your photo feed or your social media, and it can come back in five minutes and come back in five days. So it's not an immediate connection in the sense of a conscious connection, it's got immediacy to it. And you Mm -hmm. can just sit there and process whatever you want. And so your actual response is filtered through layers, both of time and consideration. So you never get the actual authentic. Response to somebody unless it's some kind of impulsive I don't give a hoot I'm just going to respond back in this kind of impulsive way so the nature of connection within that world is just Mm -hmm. very different from the nature of connection with direct face-to-face communication and that's a problem because a lot of young people are losing the art of conversation as Sherry Turkle has written beautifully about and if you think about the categories and concepts the brain creates to organize this very complex world into energy information is how I would say it, then you start developing these digitalized categories and concepts of stuff like, did the message I just send yes. get a lot of friends? Did I get a, a lot, lot of thumbs a lot up, of thumbs down? Yes. So the thumbs up, thumb down stuff and all the likes I can get categorizes the meaning of my communication. Yes. And then we think, oh, I only got two people responding. Well, if you had a friend and you said... Hey friend, look at this photo. And your friend looks at the photo and goes, "Oh, that's really sweet. What was it like to be there mm. at the park with your dog or whatever you sent a photo? Oh, it was so much fun. I, I really miss my dog because you know she died two days ago. Mm. And this was just two weeks ago. I was with her and it was so beautiful to be with her. And she really had a lot of meaning for me. No, you send out your photo. Yeah. Oh, I didn't get a thousand likes or a hundred likes or twenty likes. You know, and you feel inadequate."
1: Coexist is the app that's revolutionizing how couples manage the mental load of household tasks and childcare. It's like having a personal assistant right in your pocket, helping you and your partner effortlessly share tasks, plan meals, collaborate on lists, and even give each other kudos along the way. Here's the cherry on top. For my amazing community, Coexist is offering an exclusive deal. Sign up for a two-week free trial before June 15th, and you'll get 15% off the annual plan on iOS with the code DRCASSIDY15. So what are you waiting for? Really take that first step towards a more harmonious home life today. Download Coexist on Android or iOS at getcoexist.com. But then, it, and then it also though, then shifts your actual meaning of the experience of whatever it is that you were sharing. And so there's this sort of this Nate, this, this, this cycle of this was a moment that I experienced. I, it was documented through an image. I'm now, I'm sharing this image and because you are not with these connections are not happening face to face where you get to where it gets to be interactive and you get to, construct that experience with these people who are now seeing it and either liking it or not liking it or commenting or not commenting. And then we make judgments based on, okay, I'm not getting... You know, people are people are saying like, well, I guess because nobody liked this photo, it must, it must not have been the experience that I thought it was. Right,
2: right. And this is where, you know, if you look at the deep science of consciousness, it actually looks like it begins... As a social process. Mm. So, what we think is a personal thing, there's a lot of reason to believe, begins socially. So, there's a whole science behind this that I talk about in Aware, this book Aware, you know, and I, I don't need to get off on that, but the bottom line is we learn to even be aware through the kinds of relational connections we have with others. So, this is where it isn't just, oh, people are preoccupied with social media. It's creating the way of walking on the planet.
1: Can I say that this terrifies me? Yeah. As a mom, and knowing that my children are going to grow up in this new, in this world where this there's this new way of walking through the world.
2: I understand it terrifies you, and I think it terrifies a lot of us. The good news is if we name it, we can tame it. If we can motivate mm-hmm. ourselves from the fear, not paralyze ourselves with it, then what you have is the opportunity to say, reflective dialogues are how you as a parent are one of the most, Mm -hmm. if not the most important figure in your child's life to teach your child about the nature of the mind. And reflective dialogues, when I think about what my wife and I did raising our kids who are now in their mid to late 20s, and I see how incredible Mindsight mavens these two are. It didn't, I mean, it certainly you could say, well, it's just them, and it could be just them, but the research suggests, in fact, mm. what we do as parents, to talk about the mind, Now what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is, you know, if a child falls down, you can talk to them about how they feel while you're helping with their need, mm. not just get up. Right. A child has a difficult thing in school with friends, you don't just say, oh, do this, do that. You go beyond behavior to the mind beneath behavior. Mm. And when you do that, what is fantastic about it is you really can start a relationship, especially before adolescence, which teaches them basically to have mindsight.
1: So they so can they name s- their experiences, and and but they also they can talk to you about them.
2: Yeah, and that talking to you about them becomes an internal dialogue. Mm. Right? Because, and Lev Vygotsky said this a hundred years ago, you know that... The thinking we have thought is internalized dialogue. Mm-hmm. That is, we learn from the conversations we have. Mm-hmm. And so we, sh- we don't need to be despairing. We need to be just activated, right? So, you know, I do work in the digital domain trying to get mind incorporated mm-hmm. into what people are doing. It, it'll take time, but I think <laughs> it's going to be yeah. doable. There are all sorts of ways we can name reflective dialogues and have them become a part of what happens with parents with their kids. There's a whole country that's asked me to come to the country and create reflective dialogues and a mindset approach to the entire nation. They're, they're revising their educational system. And you can, you can suggest, in fact, that, you know, when a whole culture starts to become a mindset-based culture, it's going to promote empathy and insight. And what integration is, is kindness and compassion. Mm. So I'm actually extremely hopeful we just have to say this is what's happening because as you point out very rightly, the digital world is not going away
3: mm-hmm.
2: and human beings have a desperate need that they often don't identify to be both connected and to be conscious. They really do. And so the good news is for those of us who are parents or educators or parents or therapists, we're in this beautiful moment of opportunity to say, okay, I see what's happened. And it isn't just with the digital age, by the way. The contemporary cultural view of a separate self is killing the planet. Mm. And there's a moment of change that is required in humanity or we will kill life on Earth.
3: Mm.
2: And so, you know, I'm giving a a commencement address to an eighth grade class next month. And it was so exciting because this school has been using these Mindsight ideas and other things from the time these kids were in preschool. And now we follow them all the way to 8th grade. Now they're graduating. And when you hang out with these kids and you see the incredible reflective capacity they have, they're Mindsightful kids, and they have this approach to the world like, we are going to help this world. Mm. We're going to serve this world.
1: That's where your hope comes from. You see it.
2: I see it. This is not just an idea. No. Right, And the reason you know Caroline Welch and I put so much energy in the Mindsight Institute you know, is that this stuff is not just interesting. Of course, it's fascinating from an intellectual point of view. It's not just helpful as a parent. Yes, it is helpful. In fact, it makes all the difference in parenting. But it is what the world, the planet, needs, mm. right? So I do work in ecological civilizations, and people say, why do they invite you? You're a mind expert, you know, to come. Say, because it's the human mind that is actually destroying the planet. Mm. The problem with contemporary cultural's message of a separate self is we put the mind in the brain we put the self in the body, and both of those are partial stories. And the stronger way of saying it is that they're lies. They're lethal lies. Mm. The self is both within us and between us. We are connected to one another, not just people who have the same skin color or religion, but we are connected to all living beings on Earth, not just human beings. And so we have this moment to raise kids that way, to have them be a we, not just a me. You know? And it isn't just get rid of the me. They should enjoy their bodies, and take care of their bodies, feed their bodies, sleep their bodies well. All that is great. And it would be like the candle wax. If we raise our kids just to think, if they're candles, you're the wax of the candle. Mm. Be the shiniest wax around. and So when you go to apply to middle school, if you're applying to middle school or college, whatever, you're going to be the shiniest candle. So then the college of the most difficult acceptance rate will accept you, and I'll be so happy as a parent because I'll be so proud because I'll have the false illusion that it guarantees something, you know. And then all these kids are killing themselves now mm. in high school. So on our website, drdansiegel.com, you go to the resources tab and go to this brainstorm talk I gave where there are a bunch of suicides at a, the school right across from Stanford University, Palo Alto High School. And at the end of the talk, I'll say to to you what I said to them, which is, I said, contemporary culture teaches us to be the shiniest candle. Mm. And so then all you do then is if you start walking around earth with that message, you want to blow out other people's wicks. Because if their flames are gone, it's going to take attention away from you. So if you really believe all you are is the wax, then you're living a solo self lie. We are the wax. Sure, you have a body that lives about 100 years. Awesome. But you are also the light. Mm. And What that approach does, as parents, is help our kids realize that the light you give from your flame is there to light other people's wicks and it takes nothing away from your flame and we need to make this a brighter world. And that's the kind of way we can raise our kids. That's what's needed for their own well-being individually, for the well-being of our families, for the well-being of our schools, for the well-being of our communities, for the well-being of our country, for the well-being of our planet. That's the kind of world human beings are capable of, this kind of cultural evolution. Because it's all based on a science-reinforced, society-reinforced lie that the self is separate, that the self lives in your skin. And I don't know what word we should use. I use the word mwe, you know, M-W-E, which is me plus we. I like that. You know, I'm so glad you like it. I think it's fun. (laughs) So we're getting people in different languages to come up with their version of Mui. I was, at,
1: I was at your talk with Sue Johnson a few months ago, and she hated Mui. I yeah, remember that. She's like, that's, that's gross. <laughs> and you yeah, were like, well, what else? We'll come up with a better one. Yeah, I mean, that exactly.
2: Was, well, that yeah. was a big moment.
1: Because
2: yeah. she said that, and it was like, whoa. Yeah. People are so tied so to individuality, you know?
3: Yes. Uh, I but know Mui
2: that. is interesting, because it, when, you, when, you, when I speak to high school kids directly about this issue, and I say... Contemporary culture has been giving you a lie that is going to kill the planet, and kill your peers, and kill the heart of your feeling of hope. Mm-hmm. But you can switch it as of now by dropping the solo me thing, or even thinking you have to give up me and go to we. But actually, embrace you and want integrate to hold itself. Both. Hold both. We, you know.
1: When I first asked you the question, in my body I felt this. I had this tension of just like well, a fear of, I, I said, I'm terrified. Yeah. <laughs> and I felt that, I felt that fear. As you've been talking, there's been this little shift inside of me, physically, actually, of, it's actually a similar feeling I get whenever I find myself having a creative idea, mm. where there's this, there's a little bit of a feeling of like, I feel like almost like nauseous, because it has to, like, like there's it's an excitement nauseous, where it's like, this needs, this needs to happen. Yeah, yeah. And I need to do it now, and where's a pen and paper, and... But there's, and then once that just first excitement starts to sort of um, settle a little bit, there's just, there's, I'm left with the feeling like openness and hope.
2: Yeah, beautiful. Openness and hope. I mean, that is what we need to have and support each other. Because it's a collective thing. This is a journey. All of us have to find a way to take on what, what a lot of people call pervasive leadership. Mm. This is not leadership of one individual or, you know, a couple of individuals. It's where everyone. leadership, And if you just take the "we" idea and the living like candlelight, yeah, we are the wax. You need to take care of your wax, you know, exercise, sleep well, eat well, all that stuff. But we are also the flame. Mm. And imagine if the goal was light up everybody's candle, Mm. right? Imagine if you took the energy that goes into greed and destructive competition and took that and made it constructive competition. What's that like? You identify the world's problems, the suffering of the world, And you put all that energy of competition into beating the problem that's creating the suffering, and then everyone benefits
3: Mm.
2: when you win the competition. So, you know, these new schools we're trying to form, take what is now the situation where you say, your goal is to get to this best college, or your goal is to get the best grade in a class and beat out your other friends. Well, that means that 10% of people at most are going to feel like they succeeded, and 90% who feel like they failed. And it's a complete insult to the study, first of all, of our collective intelligence. But
1: those 10% had to blow out everyone else's candle right. light in order to get there. So then right. they're, maybe they found success, but they are isolated and alone and lonely.
2: Right. Exactly. So you can turn this whole thing around. It's. I, I think it's really doable. I don't think, even think it's going to take that long. It's just going to take pervasive leadership where everyone wakes up to the idea that the way we've been doing it for hundreds of years is kind of come to its end. Mm. It's come to its end. And when you just read the newspaper, turn on the news, listen to the radio, you know, you get this sinking feeling. It's come to an end. And the good news about that is we have the capacity with human consciousness to transform the very sense of self that you as a parent can cultivate in your kids that we as individuals can cultivate here on this planet, that we collectively can shape, let's say, school systems or Mm -hmm. communities. How are, little ways, you'd be amazed. And people wake up, and this is the story of what the kids feel in the high schools. Is like, when I said, you know, you're actually not just a me and the body, you're a we, they get big smiles on their face. And there's this huge amount of energy release Mm -hmm. because the oppression of the lie of a separate self, is invisible to consciousness in everyday life, unless it's named. And so what this means is that you have a bunch of people living a lie. They know it's a lie on some deep level, but not in awareness. And so they're struggling. And of course, the vicious cycle of all that is, and you know, we see this in young people sometimes, where if you're told, hey, the pathway to happiness is have a lot of stuff. Hmm. So then, someone gets really hard in their work and they get a job where they get a lot of stuff, 100 units of stuff. They're not happy because stuff doesn't make you happy, but that's what they were told. Hmm. So now they say, Whoa, I'm not happy I have 100 units. The problem is I need 1,000 units. So then they struggle to get 1,000 units. And now they say, Someone else has got 2,000 units. That's why I'm not happy. They've got more. I've got to go for 10,000 units to beat out their 2,000. Now I've got the 10,000 units. I'm still not happy. I'm gonna turn it into a hundred thousand units and now I have a million units. Now I have ten million units, and I'm still not happy. Because it's all about relationships mm-hmm. and it's all about realizing the we identity that is our integrated way of living. So what you see then is this this huge running treadmill, not a treadmill. what's it called? The running rat wheel. The where hamstring. you're actually a hamster wheel, where you're going absolutely nowhere. You run faster and faster to get more stuff and all we do is we produce stuff Mm -hmm. so someone can sell the stuff so they can have more stuff and get more stuff and it's just stuffing us to death.
3: Yeah.
2: And think about the beauty that comes from just connection Mm -hmm. that doesn't create pollution. Right? You
1: know? It seems so so simple.
2: It is. It It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't
1: mean it's easy. It
2: actually is simple. If you could get people to open up to the absolute extraordinary quality of the ordinary.
3: Mm.
2: Of deep connection to each other. Of connection to nature. That's what we is all about. And so this this has got to become a movement for parents to take on because if they just keep on passing on the message of the separate self, do well little Danny, you know, on your test, do well this way, this way, this way, we're sunk. And so... You know, maybe it's why you're involved in parent education, certainly why I am. You know, it's got to start in the home. It's got to move out into the schools. It's got to move into organizations. It's got to move into governments. It's got to move into, you know, our conversations across countries. And whatever level you feel like you can do, anyone listening, that's the level you do. If it's your connection with your kid, that's beautiful and that's enough. You don't have to feel like, oh my God, I'm not doing enough because I'm not working in this, that, whatever. No. No, We say that just because people need to feel hopeful that if this is like this mass movement of waking up to the reality of our deep interconnectedness, we're going to be okay. And as my daughter said, who studied, you know, environmental science, and I said to her before she finished her studies, i got to ask you a question, doesn't this, like, get pretty despairing and depressing? She goes, no.
3: Mm. I said,
2: But didn't you read the UN report? She goes, of course, I read the UN report, which was pretty despairing. I go, that doesn't make you feel hopeless? She goes, no. I'm learning the science to do something about it. And besides, Dad, she said, what else is there to do but to try to serve the world as best you can? And if you you do that, you just can try your best. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But this is what we're going to do.
1: We are going to be okay.
2: We are going to be
1: okay. All right, Dan. Thank (laughs) Thank Thank you so much. A pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to Holding Space Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the information that was shared in this episode. If you did, you might want to subscribe and be the first to hear about future episodes as soon as they air. Thank you so much for sharing this space with me. Have a great day.